Hurry into Ram Power Days and experience the raw power of the Ram 3500 with available best-in-class torque and towing among 350-3500 pickups when properly equipped. Strap yourself in for one powerful ride in the Ram TRX with the most horsepower of any gas pickup ever built. Or the Ram 1500, awarded number one in driver appeal among light-duty pickups by J.D. Power three years in a row. Hurry into Ram Power Days going on now. For J.D. Power 2022 U.S. award information, visit jdpower.com awards. All right, y'all. For the next four weeks, we are going to be talking about sex in lots of different ways with different guests from different angles. Everything in these interviews is Christ-centered because, spoiler alert, God created sex. But some of it may not necessarily be appropriate for young children, unless you're ready to field those questions. Some of the things we talk about are uncomfortable, of course, but all of my guests did such an incredible job of sharing honestly and openly and vulnerably, and I am so proud and so honored and so excited to step into this space and talk about it through a Christian lens, which I don't think gets done enough. So I'm so pumped to bring you the Let's Talk About Sex series from Confessions of a Crappy Christian. Come on, let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you. And okay, y'all, today I am super pumped to bring you our first ever male guest on Confessions of a Crappy Christian. Daniel Fick is a husband, father, student, teacher, writer, and former pastor. He is the author of One Day at a Time, My Story of Lust, Loss, Hope, and Healing. Uh, this is part three of our Let's Talk About Sex series, and we're going to talk about like the hard stuff. So we're going to talk about pornography, we're going to talk about adultery, um, and then the other side of emotional and spiritual healing in those things. This episode is going to talk about some more mature topics. I wouldn't listen to it necessarily around your kids unless you're prepared to have that conversation. Daniel, hey, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm super excited and honored to have our first ever male guest on the Crappy Christian podcast. (laughs) I'm I'm a crappy Christian, so uh, it feels feels welcome to to the club. (laughs) So, as I tend to do, we are going to do this big. We're going to take our first male guest. And we're going to talk about some serious topics. We're going to talk about pornography. We're going to talk about lust, adultery. Just, you know, just some light chatting for people yeah, to listen yeah. to easy, on a Monday. Easy talk. Easy, easy talk. Um, yeah. But I'm so, I'm so glad that we're doing this. Um, you wrote a book, One Day at a Time. I'm kind of documenting your struggles through these things and your journey. So I'd love to give you the opportunity to kind of tell us about yourself and tell us your story and about your book. So. Um... Man, I'm never good at the uh, the intro things. So <laughs> it's always awkward um, to kind of talk about yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So well, so I'm a I'm a professor of philosophy, and and we started our um, spring term today, and so I have my students do the awkward introductions that you do, you know, at the beginning of this semester, and I always try to try to lead. Uh, those introductions, because if they have to do it, I feel like I should have to, and I always mess it up too. So <laughs> this will be something, uh, I guess, interesting. So uh, again, my name is Daniel Fick. Um, I'm from Michigan. Uh, I live about 25 minutes uh, northwest of Detroit. 
Um, I am, uh, what are the fun facts about me? I'm uh, married, remarried, um, and, uh, and divorced, obviously, and now remarried. I have uh, one daughter, a uh, nine-year-old, uh, from uh, my first marriage. Um, again, I, I am a teacher. I'm back in school uh, uh, studying to get another master's degree in clinical mental health counseling. Wow. Uh, so yeah, I'm super, super, um, pumped about, uh, getting a chance to, I guess not pay it forward, but maybe pay it back for all the, the help that I've received that I've been in therapy now for, um, I think like five and a half years. Uh, and it's, it's been tremendously helpful. I'm sure we, you know, we may get into that later at some point, but, um, so just just wanting to to give back and, and help others that are uh, struggling the same way. I, I don't know if I necessarily have a desire to kind of um, kind of be a, a, a niche or niche counselor and just do sexual addiction, but but I'm I'm certainly interested in helping um, people, and, and I think I, I'm I'm even. Um, quite interested in, in helping uh quote unquote church people mm. um just because i think that in general the church has uh kind of fed up pretty pretty poorly uh um in this area and so my assumption and i talk about this a little bit in the book my assumption is that there are uh so many um hurting people mm. and that are so afraid and so isolated and are and are are afraid because of guilt and shame and spiritual abuse and all those types of things that they're just uh there's no way that they're going to come out of hiding and um and so that kind of i guess leads into the book that, that with my uh wife's permission um i just felt this need to uh be willing to kind of put myself out there and um and i guess be uh you know be you know not not that i'm trying to elevate myself at all but be willing to be a scapegoat or be willing to be uh a point of ridicule uh maybe so that this this message of of um well the so the subtitle is lust loss hope and healing or my story of lust loss hope and healing and so um all of those things are are you know part of my story and so if if god can use me in some some way even if it's just um by kind of transforming myself um you know that that uh i just i want to be helpful so so the book is is kind of a it's a short book you know the the website lies and you know, publishers they like tack on pages that don't need to be there. So there's actually really only about a hundred pages of content. Um, but it was it was important for me to keep it short because I want people to actually read it. Um, 
and so like my 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 therapist is working on a like a 600 page book right now now granted it's it's probably going to be a textbook for classroom purposes but i'm thinking gosh nobody's going to read that you know <laughs> right and, unless so it's like harry potter <laughs> like... yeah yeah so it's, it's not going to be although you know maybe people will because he's he's writing something quite interesting it's on um um men who are abused sexually abused as children so i mean maybe, maybe it will get a large readership because that's an interesting topic but my goal is to keep it short and succinct and try to pack it with as much information as possible uh so that people will actually read it and then to give enough of my story um so that people will feel connected so it's not it's not only autobiography but there is some autobiography mm-hmm. and it's not only um uh neurobiology or theology or or um psychology but there is some of that in there mm-hmm. too so I've, I've done my best uh which probably isn't all that great but i've done my best to try to weave all of those things together um to make a book that is both readable and hopefully helpful yeah and I, we talk a lot on this show about shame and how shame festers and grow like shame needs dark to grow and and to to fester and to take over and i think that you you said something about even if writing the book only does this you know if it's only a self-growth thing if it only helps me i really don't think that that's possible because i think that when you pull your stuff into the light you innately pull people with you just by them knowing that they're not alone in and we talked before we started recording through like email and then also talking that we want to kind of hit this from both angles from people who struggle but then also people who love people who struggle um and then also the angles of the heart and then the spirit and the science and the biology because i think that i think you're right i think the church has really done a really terrible job of of handling most of this i mean capital c church i'm not like calling out a church but right and i think a lot of that tends to be a desire to not bring like the science and and the the biology and the neurobiology into things it's like we we think like we have to separate the two and i think we do a disservice to this situation and to these conversations um not bringing both of those in so I have admittedly not read your book, but I did research it extensively before I agreed to let you come on the show because I wanted to make <laughs> sure that we were like, this is a serious topic. And I wanted to make right. sure we were going right. to do it well. And I think right. you've done this really well because it's not just your story and it's not just facts. It's a marriage of the two and it's heart and theology and science and biology. So I'm really excited to kind of dive in on that. Um we talked about before about that a lot of my listenership is female, which gives yeah. an interesting spin to the conversation for two reasons. One, there are for sure women who struggle with this, but they are even more so not allowed to talk about it than men. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and then, you know, they're inundated with shame and all of that kind of stuff. Or they don't struggle with it, but there's a really good chance that their life has been touched by it in some capacity right. because they have, have loved or love someone who does. So... Right. We're going to, we, you know, we want to store that well and talk to all of the kids. And then we want to talk to men, too, because I'm yeah. like crossing my fingers that men are going to tune in for this episode. 
So I want to start by talking about like the struggler, like the person that is in the dark fighting addiction or lust or obsession. Like let's, let's talk to that person first. Yeah. So sexual addiction is so, um, well, I suppose I don't even really like that term because, um, I, I think that there are, there are people that are quote unquote addicted to sex, but, but to me, that's the action that is, uh, a, re- I guess a reaction to the real problem at hand, right. Which is, which is lust. And, um, and that it's, it's a really unfortunate thing. And I think, you know, maybe because, or maybe one of the reasons why I'm drawn to church people is because lust, generally speaking, is not an issue outside of the church. It's not talked about. It's perhaps weird if you don't lust, right? If you're not yeah, it's part of it. definitely not framed as problematic. Yeah, well, I, I don't want to... Uh, oh, I guess I want to be careful and not, you know, throw throw too much shade, but... I'll try to maybe keep it as um, opaque as possible, but I was having a conversation uh, with, you know, someone who probably would not identify as a Christian, and I told them that I had, you know, cheated on my ex-wife, and that 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 act of um, adultery was was uh, preceded by months and and years and decades of pornography use and and really I would call it pornography abuse and it was striking to me that this person said well i'm i'm upset about the adultery but frankly i don't care much that you were using pornography and that was really striking to me uh be, because there was that delineation now i realized that there are maybe some within christianity today that are starting to have a more kind of relaxed uh, view um, on Christians and pornography. And to me, that's, and maybe I'm again being old school and conservative here, but mm-hmm. to me, that's a, that's a problem because mm-hmm. uh, my assumption is that they don't really understand the neurobiology that's going on there mm-hmm. uh, and, and what, and how detrimental it, it actually is. Um, Can you school us on that a little bit? Uh, I can I can try. I, I think maybe the the best. I mean, I'm not a neurobiologist by trade. Well, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but I, I have read a, a fair amount um, on it. I, I think per, perhaps the the one thing I would like to do before I guess trying to to school us on it is refer to two books that have been massively helpful to me as I've been uh, researching and writing, and one is by uh, a, a guy named William Struthers. He is actually, I think, a professor of neurobiology or neuropsychology or something like that at Wheaton. And he wrote a book called Wired, uh, Wired for Intimacy. And he's got a section in there. And his his book is great too because it it is not only scientific. It actually you know packs some uh, theology in there and and really addresses the idea of of um, of manhood, right, and this this so-called um, masculinity that maybe people like a uh, Mark Driscoll would would propose and stuff like that that is essentially problematic, right? 
so but um so so that's one book and then the other book is by um uh, his name's gary wilson and it's uh, your brain on porn and that book is i as far as i know he's an atheist <laughs> so uh but that book is just kind of uh full of uh statistics and scientific data and it's um really good so um i'm gonna turn to to my chapter on this so so i, I wrote a chapter um or one of my chapters is called that's bad for you and it just kind of is outlining um i try to to propose this formal argument right so again i'm a philosophy professor one of the divisions of philosophy is logic and i'm trying not to you know put people to sleep right now but what what logic does is it studies how to argue and so i try to lay out this argument for why uh we should avoid lust and so i talk about uh the first premise being that lust harms our brains and so that's that's the kind of neurobiological aspect to it not harming our hearts and I'm not talking about uh, our, our biological hearts, right? But, but perhaps more, you know, when we look at, at the Bible and, and they talk about the heart, it's the, it's the will or the seat of the emotions. And then I, lastly, I talk about lust harming our relationships. But in regards to kind of the, the neurobiology part, uh, there are a couple of things to me that, that are interesting. And the first is this idea that our brains are plastic. Uh, and so again, not plastic in, in so far as uh, the Tupperware that you put your Chinese leftovers in, but th this idea of what's called neuroplasticity. And so our brains are, are, are bendable, they're, they're flexible. And as we have experiences throughout our lives, which that's, that's really all our lives are, is just experience after experience after experience after experience and our brains are being molded by those experiences and so what happens though is that when when we have these brains that are uh, or we have brains that have neuroplasticity um, we can create these grooves in our brain and so the the picture that I like to use is if you are walking kind of aimlessly in the woods um, and you find this like pristine lake and you decide, oh, gosh, this is really great. I want to come back tomorrow or later this evening or next week. And I want to come back to this lake. But what do you do? You try to make a trail. So you, maybe you chop down some, some branches and stamp on the ground and, and then you keep coming back. And as you keep coming back and keep coming back and keep coming back, right, the trail becomes flatter and wider and easier and maybe at some point you say yeah, i'm going to throw some gravel down right and just make it easy to walk through to the point where you decide to pave it right and you can just kind of rollerblade right down from the road to the lake with with perfect ease and so the the potential problem is that our brains uh can create those same types of grooves and so what what happens when we do something that we like uh, is our brains release dopamine. And so, and what's, <laughs> I think what's problematic again, is that our brains release dopamine when we lust, but our brains also release dopamine when we eat a donut 
Hmm. or when we play the drums or read a good book or have a great conversation because our brains are telling us like, I, I want more of this. And if we kind of trace the, the kind of scientific history of that, and we look back to our, our ancestors, the, part of the purpose of dopamine was it was a survival mechanism. So if you have Johnny and Callie, say, uh, Johnny and Sally caveman who are out hunting, right. Or, you know, they're out gathering uh, vegetables and then they come across this really protein packed, fatty, dense Buffalo and they kill that Buffalo and they cook it and they eat it. And they think, shit, this is like incredible. I, I need, I need to get back out there and hunt again tomorrow. Right. That's a result of dopamine. Mm-hmm. And so when we lust or when we use pornography as that medium for lust, I mean, I would be being dishonest if I said I didn't like to lust. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, right. It's, it's great, biologically speaking, because it releases dopamine. Right. But the problem is, is that it's not a it's not an emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. So biologically, it's, it's good, I guess. But mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, it's unhealthy. It's an unhealthy release of dopamine. And that's because my brain is not able to... All, all, it, all my brain recognizes is that dopamine is being released, and this is great, and I want more of it. It's not able to recognize that the, the dopamine that maybe I have if I go on a walk with my wife and we see a beautiful sunset that's that's good and healthy but the dopamine that's released by lusting or abusing pornography or something like that is unhealthy but our brains are unable to decipher that and it's still going to create that path right (laughs) which interestingly if people listen to the podcast consistently they know a little bit about neuroplasticity which is hysterical to say but we talk we have talked about it in the past in reference to uh a struggle with anxiety and um had to really dive in on the science of the brain to i was having like rolling panic attacks like daily at one point and literally had to like through EMDR and all of that kind of stuff, like retrain uh, yeah, yeah, my brain. Yeah. So people know a little bit about, yeah, their, and I'm very proud of my people for knowing that. <laughs> but, but what you're, what we're saying in reference to the negative side of that is that you just like you can retrain your brain to take something that's triggering for your anxiety and you can literally create a new path so that it, that path does not lead to a panic attack. You can create new paths in your brain for that dopamine re- release of using pornography. Right. Yeah. So, so neuroplasticity is uh, has these, like you said, these incredible positive aspects to it, and these incredible negative aspects. But and so, but I will say that in regards to recovery, the beauty is, as you've said, about kind of retraining your brain with. Um, uh, anxiety and neuroplasticity, you can do the same thing with lust. It's yeah. going to take time uh, and it's going to take a whole lot of work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but yeah, the beauty is that anything that we need to retrain our brains on, they it's are possible. created in such a way that, that, that is possible. So I, I also, uh, I don't know if struggle is the right word, but I, I'm, I deal with uh, obsessive compulsive disorder. Mm-hmm. And so, um, 
I, I read a book, um, Brain Lock, and it is all about how to how to rewire your your brain. And it's 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 it was so great because I read it specifically for the purpose of working through my OCD. But it can work. The the, the different steps that this um, author has can work for anything, including mm-hmm. love and, and fighting against pornography and things like that. So I think an interesting side of this conversation, just in like the sexual lust pornography all of that sense is while we're talking about like the biological side also kind of tying in theology is that we're created for sexual connection right right, we're like and 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 that's another thing that like the church gets really wrong sometimes is that we're supposed to like stuff and stifle these very natural like sexual responses to things and then like get married and flip a switch and like be a freak in the sheets but (laughs) like we have to I think you have you have to differentiate when having that conversation also because like having a natural sexual response to for me Channing Tatum writhing around without a shirt on in that instant <laughs> my brain's natural response to that isn't inherently bad it is what I right. choose to do with that this episode is part three gonna actually be part three of a sexual series oh okay cool where we've talked about um the the good it's kind of like a the good the bad and the ugly kind of like lineup is the way it's it's landing but we've talked about that like you know girls that are raised in the baptist church are raised like you know sex is bad sex is bad and then they get married and it's not and so it's an interesting distinction to make in this conversation that like your sexuality is not the problem and that sexual attraction is not the same as lust. Right. Yes. Totally agree. And and I and I think um it's funny that that you're talking about, you know, the church and and so I I again I reference in the book and I was trying to find it while you were talking about it cuz cuz I can't remember the exact chemical that's released but um, you know, the idea of the, the, um, I mean, our, again, I don't want to throw shade on my, on my family or my parents too, but you know, the, the way I was raised is that sex prior to marriage, sex is uh, off limits and sinful. And in fact, if you have sex prior to marriage, uh, you will likely get an STI, right? I mean, one of, one of my, so my mom, I love you, mom. Uh, one of her uh, or her job um, was a a nurse for a gynecological and obstetrician practice, right? And so one day uh, to deter me uh, from having, sorry, I think, for marriage, she brought me home a book of pictures with STIs in them. And so uh, it was traumatic. <laughs> yes, right. You're writhing around, shaking. It was traumatic. <laughs> Uh, to say the least. And so, and then, yes. And then at the same time, it's, oh, hey, once you get married, it's so great. Flip flip that switch and have this guilt free, rapturous, crazily (laughs) orgasmic sex on your first night of marriage. And it's just the world's greatest thing. And it's not surprising to me, uh, that, um, that 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 teenagers or or young adults or whoever's getting married that's part of the church are so 
confused uh, when they get to their wedding bed and they're like, this, this is not. This is this? not at all what I was expecting. Because I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah, this is super and... awkward. Right. And and smelly. And <laughs> like, uh, I mean, potentially painful, right? All yeah. of these different things that it just, and you don't, it's just this white gown of purity with the promise ring and then get to, Boom. you know, get to the, the nuptials and, and you're good. You're good to go. And that just, um, to, to me, that's that's so un, uh, unfortunate and, and again problematic. And for me, as I've been talking with my wife about, you know, how to, so my daughter's nine, and I for the first time ever, I I mentioned the word puberty um, a couple of weeks ago to her, right? Realizing that that may be starting soon for her, and and my my desire is to, uh, when we get to have the sex talk try to help her understand that that the the point behind uh, I think God wanting us to be uh, monogamous and be faithful to our husbands is because of again this chemical that God has created and I'm drawing a blank on what the chemical's name is and I was looking for it in my book and I just I, I can't find it so um, but there's this chemical that that is released that is a is a binding chemical so when so when we orgasm right we are binding together to that person that we are orgasming with and so what i don't want for my daughter is for her to be bound to a bunch of of people right i want her to be uh and of course that may not be her reality even in a perfect world uh, her spouse could die or she could get divorced and or any any number of things right so so i don't i don't want i don't want those who are uh <laughs> who have had multiple partners due to divorce or death to to feel shame about that but um but i i think the the goal right is for this this binding chemical that our brains release uh that uh, is is perhaps one of the reasons why God has said, "Hey, let's let's try to keep it, you know, as few people as possible." It's not mm-hmm. he's not just trying to be a dick about it. He's trying to <laughs> set us up for success, right? I think relational success uh, by saying, "Hey, uh, I've created this chemical uh, to be released into your brain when you orgasm, so let's let's limit the amount of sexual partners." And I think maybe we can even see how that is problematic in the Bible when. Uh, these goofballs are having a whole bunch of wives, right? And, you know, my opinion is that those parts of the Bible are what I would call descriptive, right? Rather than prescriptive or normative, right? That's not that's not what God is calling us to do to have multiple wives, but I think it just is what happened, right? Mm-hmm. Because men are stupid <laughs> um, and and often think with uh you know their their penises right not their not their uh their their brains and so um but anyways i'm getting off on a giant no this that's what like the whole podcast (laughs) is we're all about tangents so i definitely want to have a conversation about kind of the other side about being someone who 
loves or is in a relationship with someone who I love that you've kind of like funneled it down to that ultimately it's about lust and that manifests differently for different people, whether it manifests as abusing or being addicted to pornography or going out and having an affair, that at the end of the day, it's a lust issue. And so... And really, really, if, if I can speak to that too, really quickly before we move on. Yeah. So it's, so it's a lust issue, but really it's even something more than that. I mean, lust is um, lust is the, the mechanism for trying to cope for some deeper pain. Mm-hmm. So frankly, I'm not entirely sure why I chose lust and not heroin mm-hmm. or lust and not alcohol and lust or not something else. I, I don't I don't have a great reason for that. I think maybe because pornography or lust, right? Lusting is readily available, right? You don't have right. to find find a dealer to uh to sell you some lust, right? You can do that on your own and and then pornography was much more readily available. I wouldn't have had any idea as a 14-year-old where to go, you know, buy some dope, right? I mean, right. she wouldn't have, you know. And I think um, that some of that is, like, genetic predisposition as yeah, well. Sure. That, like, and are you into the Enneagram? <laughs> so. Uh, is that super annoying to, for somebody to ask a philosophy no, professor? <laughs> my, my wife is obsessed with it. So oh. I told her that you had uh asked me about it in the in the uh the rapid fire questions and so we we were kind of joking about it because yeah i i haven't done i haven't done much uh thinking about it she's done a lot of thinking about it so much thinking that she's typed me even Wait, though what she's... does she think she you are well and so what's so funny though is she she knows that she's not supposed to type yeah that's the hard people. part you're not supposed to type other people right. but if the and person she, is unwilling like, to take part anyway. i'm doing it anyway yeah. <laughs> So she she thinks I'm a nine uh, with a strong eight wing. I was because I thought you were an eight for sure. Yeah, I'm an eight. So okay, and so she's a four. So okay, whatever, whatever that means, you know, she's the creative. Yeah, she's super creative, and um... so the reason <laughs> that I asked about the enneagram is that the enneagram actually outlines um, what each type's deadly sin is. Ah, okay. And eights is lust. Oh, okay. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, I mean, and it's not yeah, always so... in a like psychosexual or sexual sense. Like sometimes it's just lusting. Like I want more. Like I want to like yeah. suck the juice out of life, and I just yeah. want like I want more and I want more and I want more. And like it, it, it has in my life manifested as sexual lust before. Yeah. Um, yeah. but so talking about like it, it that that lust is essentially coping with something else. Right. I think that like everyone is coping in some capacity and what your outlet is going to be like nines is sloth. Like that's yeah, their, like I, deadly I have, sin. I have quite a bit of that too. Yeah. Yeah. So like nines, <laughs> my like my wife is over there laughing. So. <laughs> like nines. When they are coping, they like go take a nap. Or they don't do anything right. or, you know, right. so I, I, I definitely get what you're saying about like it, it being a deeper issue. But I think like being willing, I think I'm also willing to put a name on it that like the issue with this stuff is lust. Right. It's just there's there's always going to be like another peg deeper right. to go. 
Yeah, and, and so I, I would I I would want to be careful with, with saying that because I don't want it to come across as an excuse. And so Absolutely. I think I talked about that at some point as well. Like in my mind, there are differences between an excuse, which is kind of trying to pass blame, and a reason. And Absolutely. so which which I think if I if I'm giving a reason for something that can still be accepting responsibility for that. And so for me, um, I really struggled with issues of acceptance kind of within my family of origin. And so I was looking for acceptance and I found it in pornography because uh, the the images and the, the individuals in pornography are never going to tell you no. They're always going to offer, of course, it's a pseudo acceptance, but they're always going to offer you this acceptance. And so, uh, but that doesn't, um, that doesn't remove my responsibility for the, the, the poor choices mm -hmm. that I've made. Just like we wouldn't say, well, I'm sorry that you were struggling, so I'm just going to overlook your heroin use. Well, no, you still need to be responsible for using heroin or, or abusing alcohol or or abusing pornography or having an affair or whatever all those things you need to be responsible for and yet we still need to be looking at with the help of a therapist or um, uh, a good um, recovery group exploring those reasons for what led me to say gosh i need to cope or, and so i'm going to choose x y or z to to cope well and i think that that essentially is why life as a believer is upside down that in that situation like you're still extending grace like you're right. like which feels like the most foreign thing and and every outlet from the world is going to be like if you're if you're speaking to someone let's say you're speaking to someone who loves someone who struggles with lust and has you know acts on it in the sense of pornography or an affair like the world's gonna tell you like girl bye like go right. pack your crap right. and get out yeah. yeah and like what the gospel says is like is the, the answer to that is grace and right. that's not to say that there's not boundaries and there's not consequences right. and there's not right. you know work that needs to be done but that like ultimately like it's grace that's extended and it yeah, makes it, no sense. Totally, yeah, it's totally counterintuitive. <laughs> right, exactly. Absolutely. And so as someone who has struggled in these senses and is is vocal and kind of standing up and standing in the gap for that, like what would your piece be for and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say it's exclusively women, like for the women or the men on the other side who are like the collateral damage of an affair or a pornography addiction or a lust yeah. issue yeah. i think i think the first thing that i would say is that i'm sorry you know and and um that my heart my heart breaks for you and and it, i have such a such a unique position because uh, I am I am the perpetrator, you know. I'm the perpetrator of of lust and pornography abuse and affairs and things like that. But I've also so again, it gives me that unique perspective. But I have other people in my life uh, that um, have both been 
in in affairs and and been I guess the victims of affairs and um yeah I, I think the the biggest thing that I would want to, to do or say to them is is that um or you know I would want to weep with them because it sucks you know and there's no there's no getting around that and I think the if if people are trying to sweep it under the rug, they're doing them a disservice and and they need to they need to sit in their pain. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um because to try to sweep it away too quickly is gonna leave it unresolved. Uh and so if that means that they need to step away from the marriage for a time or, you know, do whatever it is that they need to do to get right, then I think that they uh, they don't. The, the victim doesn't need permission, but they're probably looking for it, right? Mm-hmm. And so, the the perpetrator needs to say, "Look, you need to go do what you need to do to get right and to get whole," um, because the perpetrator is also needing to go get right and get whole. And you know, sometimes that needs to be done, at least to some extent, separately. And sometimes, and then, and then I think eventually it can come back and be done together. Um, you know, I think of my wife and I, we love watching intervention. And so when you see a couple, right, that is struggling kind of, um, uh, together with substance abuse, right. They don't send them together somewhere. Mm-hmm. They separate them because mm-hmm. they need that time of separation. So, um, I, and I think as hard as this might be for people to hear, I, I would want to would want them to know that it's it's not about them. So the 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 person that is abusing pornography, um, their significant other or whatever, it has nothing to do with them. It has only to do with the perpetrator's pain body and their their desire to cope. And I <laughs> I I totally understand and recognize that that doesn't make it any easier. Um, because you've still been, you still, you still are the victim, right. Of, of, um, an impropriety in regards to your husband, wife's, whatever significant others, sexual or sexuality. And so, but, but nevertheless, it's not, it's not about you. And mm-hmm. so if you can find any resolve there, um, then, you know, I mean, good, right? If you can find, right. if you can find any any peace from that, then then that I think will be helpful. Um, I, I think another thing that's important for for those who love someone that's struggling with pornography abuse or struggling with sexual addiction or lust addiction is that uh, you have to, uh, in some sense, let go mm. because you cannot force change um the 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 perpetrator whether it's a a one-time event and they are just like i i didn't expect this to happen i'm sorry or it's or is this addictive thing you have to let them you have to let it go and say you have to and then that's why like the the victim has to go take care of themselves because if if the perpetrator isn't doesn't want to be in recovery, then they're not going to be in recovery. 
they're, and they're, they're just, they're not. And, and so I can speak to that in my own life, you know, right? So as I, when I, as I was growing up, I think I got caught a couple times. And so, I, you know, I would maybe feign repentance or feign like I wanted to change. But really all I did was um, act differently until the storm clouds went away and I could just jump right back into what I was doing mm-hmm. and, and no one was the wiser. And so, and I, and I, because I never really wanted it uh, up until a few years ago, um, I was able to just kind of masquerade this so-called healing or repentance or whatever, and then just get right back into it. And so, um, but so all of my parents' attempts to, you know, force change upon me or my churches or, or theologies uh, attempts to force me to change or my ex-wife's, I, I don't think she necessarily ever forced me to, to try to change, but no one can make you change except for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for, for whatever the, and that's super hard too. Like I have, I know people that the victim is having a difficult time letting go um, kind of of the, the, the reins of control with the perpetrator to just say, I I have to let you want this. And if you don't want this, then sure, there are going to be boundaries and consequences and things like that, but I can't force change upon you. And then I think the last thing that I would want to offer, which (laughs) that one may not have been all that encouraging, but I think, so I could maybe end with some encouragement that real recovery is possible. It, it may not it may not be the the reality that you're going to experience, but it is possible. Um, my sponsor is uh, has been sober for over seven years, um, and uh, uh, he, I mean the the per- I mean, granted, I didn't know him before this, but the person I mean, I I, I can still he's been my sponsor now for. Um, I think maybe four years now, and I, I I can still see change and improvements in his life, and so um, so so real real recovery is possible, um, and so I think it's okay to hope for that and, mm-hmm. and pray towards that end, and, and and encourage the 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 perpetrator. I don't know if that's the right word to use, but that's what I've been using. So yeah, no, it works. Yeah. To, to 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 seek uh help um while again recognizing that they've got a kind of of control and i think what's interesting you touched on this earlier about the that pornography is maybe kind of starting to be a little more like normalized in christian culture here and there and that like if you're if this is something that your significant other is struggling with like it's okay to be upset (laughs) yes yes you know what i mean like i mean i've had conversations where they're like well i mean is it just like normal now i'm like "Mm, i want to say no (laughs) like i want to say like well and, and, and i mean the thing is is that maybe it is normal but that doesn't necessarily mean it's okay Right. I mean, in the in the eighties, you know, using crack in the inner city was normal. 
that, that doesn't Very mean not it was okay. okay, you right. know? Um, so I, I don't, yeah, I mean, if, um, if someone were to come to me and say, is it okay that I'm pissed because my significant other is using pornography? I would say absolutely. Absolutely. Because and that you touched on that that person needs to heal as well. Yeah. Because I actually just yesterday did an interview with uh, someone who's married to an addict, okay. like a, a drug and alcohol addict. Okay. And, and she was telling her story of kind of what we've talked about, there not being a ton of resources for the other side of it, for being right. someone who loves someone, and that the biggest thing that she has learned over nine years of, of loving an addict is that, like, she had to heal. That she yeah. had, yeah. like, that, that yeah. his decisions ultimately caused stuff in her that, like, she had right. to get in therapy yeah. and she had to work through. And so whether it's pornography or, or an affair or, you know, whatever, that it there's a really, really solid chance that there's going to be stuff that you're you're going to have to work through and you're going to have to heal and you're going to have to welcome God into whether going your separate ways is the outcome or you, you stay together and you you stick it out and you, you work on it. I think that so often, I think both in, both in Christian and, and normal culture, we focus on the per person with the problem. And right. we forget to care for the, like I said earlier, the collateral damage. Yes. And so yep. I think that if this is a part of your story or ever is, like, it's okay to be pissed. <laughs> it's okay to, <laughs> like, it's not, it's not okay. It's okay to feel like it's not okay. And if when the storm clouds clear, you feel, you feel not okay. And you, you have, you know, you start to realize, like, you have stuff. That's not, that's not dumb. That's not right, right. Like you don't need to just get over it. Like you. And, and, and the reality is, is that they will have stuff because they are yeah. like, I, I would consider my ex-wife to be in some sense, a trauma victim. And so what, and I think let, let's, let's leave out the fact that I had an affair, you know, and committed adultery. If it had just been pornography, She's still a trauma victim because, um, I mean, people talk about it being or, or normalizing it and things like that. But then if that's the case, then why are people upset when, when someone has to confess that they've used it? Right. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and maybe, I mean, I know there are people out there that, that wouldn't be upset and, and maybe do use it together, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But, I think that's obviously problematic and we can you know, go on for ages about why that's problematic. Right. But um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think that there's anything wrong with, with them um, uh, being, being upset about it um, and, and, and recognizing that they're going to have a whole lot of work to do for themselves. Uh, like, like you said, once the storm clouds do clear. And I think another thing as you were talking about that, that kind of came to my mind and I don't necessarily have any uh, research or statistics to back this up, but a, a common uh, idea kind of within the sexual lust addiction recovery community is that the, the, the victim is usually a, approximately a year behind mm. the perpetrator. The perpetrator is 
you know, out from the gates, ready to get this shit taken care of and let's get into recovery. And the victim is is in shock. Mm-hmm. Or a support they, system. Right. Yeah. And they're like, I, I don't even, what am I even supposed to do right now? Right. The, the addict is off getting all this help and things like that. And the, the, the victim is left usually alone uh, and in complete shock. And then, and then there's just such a gap mm-hmm. between where the, where the perpetrator's at and where the victim's at that sometimes the perpetrator can then become frustrated. Like, come on, like, just catch up. What is the problem? Like, uh, look how great I'm doing. <laughs> and the victim may be like, look, bro, I just got done being <laughs> in shock, right? right? So can you, like, give me, give me some a minute. time? Right? You're the asshat that was doing all this stuff, right? I'm so really glad me- that, like, yeah. we're doing the yeah, recovery right. thing. Cool. Right. My turn. <laughs> right. And that ultimately is... to catch up, please. <laughs> what the, the girl that I interviewed yesterday, that ultimately was kind of what she said, was, like, it had to kind of be, like, okay, now it's my turn. Like, yeah. now it's my turn yeah. to be the one that, like, yeah. you went away you did the the rehab thing you did the sober living thing i gotta get right i gotta go to therapy you gotta watch the kids while i go get like my stuff taken care of you know and and it's crazy that like i've actually talked on previous episodes about um that i not in a marriage but was cheated on in a a long-term relationship and i've been married for seven years have two kids married to a super great guy and still have to process stuff from being yeah. cheated on yeah. by a guy yeah. that I dated for four years. So, yeah. like, there is no timeline on healing. Healing isn't right. linear. Like, right. you... That that guy is not even remotely a part of my life. And I still have have moments where I have to, like, talk things out with my husband of seven... Yeah. Seven years? <laughs> seven years? To be like, hey... I'm kind of like backsliding into like old wounds and I need to talk about it. So this is not, and we say that a lot on the show that like healing isn't linear. So no, absolutely. You're not not going to, you know, you're not going to, okay. Like the, the perpetrator is out the gate and then you do catch up. Like you do catch up in the healing process. It's okay to like, even after the fact, be like, Oh, you know what? I'm pissed today. Or like, I'm triggered today. Or this hurts today. Like, that's okay too, you know. And and that's that's the the key word right there is being triggered. I mean, you could be you could be a victim who's been in victim recovery for ten years, and a decade later still get triggered and be like, "Dude, I'm I thought so I was over this." Pissed. Yeah, like I thought I was over, it and I'm so pissed right now. I don't even want to be around you. Mm-hmm. I have um, there's there's a an individual in one of my recovery groups that. Uh, has been also been sober for a while and uh, is married. And uh, this individual's wife, um, again, has moments of being triggered. And he, you know, he'll come to the group and he'll talk about how things seem to be going great. And then she gets triggered and it's like shit hits the fan and it's like back to square one. And yeah, I mean, it's but but, you know, I would say to the wife, like, don't like you need to be working through that and processing that but at the same time you should not be feeling bad and shaming yourself because you again you are a trauma victim Mm -hmm. like you you had um you are not responsible for his actions he is um 
And they directly impacted you and your yeah, life in, in and a, your in heart. In an incredible and, way. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, Daniel, this was freaking stout. This was <laughs> awesome. Uh, we are going to do rapid fire, even though we already answered one of them. I, I would agree with your wife's uh, assumption that you are a nine wing eight. I don't know her and I just met you, but I, I feel like that is. All right. I'll make sure she knows that. She'll, she'll feel it out. Like, I will validate that in, that in her <laughs> life. Uh, the second one is, what is something that can always pull you out of a funk? Um, you know, I, I don't want to sound like too much of a, uh, um, a sap here, but I think being with my wife uh, so and, and having, uh, I think... Uh, again, not to be too much of a sap here, but if we we connect on we connect mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and so um, whether it would be having a deep conversation or you know laughing like a couple of turds or whatever it might be like that, that her presence, generally speaking, pulls me out of funk. Yeah. So, so again, awesome. not to be like overly sappy, but okay, getting all the it's brownie a, points, whatever. <laughs> I have a perfect marriage, everyone. Yeah. Everybody. Uh, yeah. And the last yeah. one is, what's the last thing you watched on TV? Well, so um, we tried watching um, some of Chambers tonight. Uh, it's so it's a show on Netflix. Uh, okay. It's like uh, what would you call it? Like a a mini series, I guess. It's got like ten episodes or whatever. Uh, super interesting. I think we're into like the sixth episode, but it's it was really nice out today uh, in Michigan, and Michigan has been really struggling with like figuring out where it wants to be as far it's as like weather, weather identity. <laughs> yeah, so we decided to, with uh, my wife's prompting, decided to stop watching TV and go for a bike ride. So, but that is literally the last thing that that I watched on TV, and I would absolutely recommend uh, Chambers, Chambers. to. Uh, I'll have everybody. To check it out. Yeah. yeah, it's uh, super. Well, Daniel, the last thing is uh tell everybody where to like find and follow you, where they can get your book, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, so um I, I guess I technically or officially have a Twitter. Um uh, my Twitter is uh Daniel J Fick. That's my Twitter handle. I I'm not really on it and uh, I don't have Facebook, I don't have Instagram, and f- frankly, I don't have I don't have those because those were problem areas for me with yeah. lust. Um, That's awesome. But I'm I'm Not trying awesome that it to, was a problem matter. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to do the Twitter thing a, a little bit, even though Twitter was a, a problem area for me too, because of like the the writing and the podcasting and so. But but uh, honestly, I also don't have social media, or I don't really get on it because it's just. Aside from the loss, it's not good for my soul. I I just get like sucked into stuff, you know, political, theological, cultural that I don't need to be spending my time on. So, but anyway, so if you do, I mean, if you want to follow me so that you can see my like one tweet every quarter, then (laughs) it's Daniel J. Thick. Again, I have a podcast, Dan Talks, um, and I think it's on like Spotify and iTunes and stuff like that. Again, that's kind of just like a pet project. It's not anything I'm taking uh, too seriously. I've released a couple of episodes. Uh, I, I do plan to to keep 
doing stuff kind of at my leisure, but it's it's certainly nothing like this where it's like done seriously and stuff like that. Um, and then you can find my books on Amazon. Uh, okay. So I wrote this book one day at a time. And then uh, I co-edited a book on uh, the intersection of philosophy and theology with one of my uh, buddies who I went to seminary with and now teach philosophy with at, at uh, this, this junior college in Michigan. So awesome. I think, I think those are the ways. Um, oh, and I have a website, but <laughs> I'm super lazy again, going back to the sloth thing. So I'm lazy and poor. So I, uh, it's just like, I think it's like a Wix site right now. So the goal is to, uh, like with this book coming out and stuff like that to kind of up my game a little bit and get a website. And I, my, my hope is to, to get DanielJFick.com. Uh, but, uh, we'll see. So I suppose if you can go check, check that out at some point and see if that's in, in existence. So yeah. th- those would be, those would be the main ways. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll link to all of that in your show notes, which people can always find at crappychristianpodcast.com. Daniel, thank you so much. This was such a great no, conversation. No, 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 no. Thank you. I am <laughs> so appreciative of it. So, and, um, maybe you could send me an email about, where I can send you a book because I want to send you yeah. sure that you that you get a copy of it. So I would yeah. love that. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Confessions of a Crappy Christian podcast. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast, and you can find the show notes and more information about the show at confessionsofacrappychristian.com. I'll see y'all next week. Ready to crush those New Year goals? Make this year the one you finally take care of those stubborn areas of fat you can't seem to get rid of. Now is the time to get into the Skin Center for Cool Sculpting. Hey, it's Elista, and the quarantine bot is in full effect. Maybe you haven't had the motivation or ability to get into the gym, or maybe you just don't have the time. Well, throw away the excuses because one of the best parts about Cool Sculpting is that it freezes away the fat cells in as little as one treatment with little or minimal downtime. Cool Sculpting is a non surgical treatment that can make your fat disappear. If you feel like no matter what you do, you still have areas that you can't seem to slim down, Cool Sculpting can help. Cool Sculpting is FDA clear to treat visible fat bulges in nine areas of the body. Some common side effects include temporary numbness, discomfort, and swelling. Get rid of the double chin, belly, and bra fat at the Skin Center with Cool Sculpting. DM Skin Center MD on Instagram and mention promo code ELISTA to save up to 50% off with a minimum of eight plus cycles on your Cool Sculpting treatment. Start a rewarding new career right away. Giant Eagle has immediate openings for supermarket positions, including curbside roles, get-go positions, pharmacy technicians, and warehouse workers. To find your new job and get hired in as little as one day, visit jobs.gianteagle.com.